0: CBD FX's CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBDFX uses only organically grown hemp and all natural ingredients. CBDFX's best-selling line of CBD products features wellness-boosting CBD and legal Delta 9 THC gummies, oil tinctures, capsules, pens, and other products. Visit CBDFX.com today and use code GENIUS to get 25% off site-wide plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase. The code is Genius, G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at CBDFX.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX
2: Department of Biology, uh, Faculty of Natural Sciences at Norwegian University. We're going to talk about um, you know, our environment, and what do plastics and other synthetic agents and endocrine disrupting chemicals do to us and the ecosystem. Martin, thanks for coming.
3: Great. Thanks for having me.
2: My guess is this won't be a very happy subject, but uh, you know it's important. So tell me a bit about how did you come to study the environmental effects of these things?
3: Yeah, right. I think if you're an environmental toxicologist like myself, you're dealing with kind of some of the more dark moments of humanity. But, uh, well, I enjoy it anyway. Mm, well, I've been studying plastics for quite a while. So, so indeed, I've been starting to look at plastics um, during my PhD back then in Germany. Um, And I've been looking at chemicals leaching from plastic bottles, um, from water bottles. um, And you mentioned endocrine disrupting chemicals already. So I've looked at uh, those chemicals that just basically mess up with our hormone signaling and whether they're leaching from all the packaging that we're using to the food that we eat on a daily basis. So that's how I got into plastics, really. And they are fascinating materials. I mean, we use them every day. They've become almost invisible to us because they're just so pervasive in our everyday lives. Um, And they're really fascinating, not only toxicologically, but to me, the toxicology matters, of course. And then- uh,
2: Before we move on, what did you discover? about the plastics we use every day? How much do they leach? Under what conditions?
3: Right. So that was very early. And and you need to keep in in terms of research and you need to keep in mind that back then not very many people have been looking at um, plastics from a toxicological perspective. So there was a lot of talk uh, and a lot of activities back then already around uh, bisphenol A, which is very prominent. Probably everybody's heard about it right now. All the BPA-free stuff is on the shelves, um, fortunately, for parts. Um, but we didn't really know a lot about all the other chemicals and plastic back then. So what, what I've been doing is I've been using um, in vitro assays, so cell cultures, to look um, into whether bottled water contains endocrine-disrupting chemicals, basically. And um, what was very surprising to us back then, and it still like astonishes me now, is that we found um, this kind of um, hormonal activity in bottled water. And we found it um, um, especially in plastic bottled water. So we also compared it to water from glass bottles, but it was way higher in bottles uh, made from plastics, from PET. And we proposed that there's some leaching going on. And then we tried to figure out which chemicals are in there. And... uh, yeah, 15 years ago, it was quite quite challenging to do that because the technology was not really ready to to really discover what the chemicals were. But that's really how I got how I've gotten into it. And and at least in Germany and in Europe, that study created a lot of media attention, of course, because people love to drink um, bottled water, especially from plastic bottles. So um, I think that helped really create awareness that um, that there's a lot of chemicals we are dealing with uh, in all our uh, plastic packed food.
2: Well, 15 years later, did you follow up on any, were any subsequent studies done that like you did? And right. what were the latest, what are the latest studies say right.
3: about bottled water? So, so I took like a, I took like a break, I would say from bottled water after my PhD. Um, not because I don't like the, as a topic anymore, but maybe I just needed a break and, I've been focusing back since then more of the on the environmental impacts of plastic pollution. I've been studying and working a lot on, on microplastics and nanoplastics, looking looking at at those in rivers and lakes and freshwater systems. Basically, because I was always a bit like um, annoyed that people focus so much on marine plastic pollution. I mean, I love the ocean. I live next to the ocean. It's it's beautiful, but I was always wondering. Well, wait a second. We're using and producing and and also littering all this plastic basically on land. So why has nobody ever looked at plastic pollution in rivers and lakes? So, so I took quite a large detour on uh, focusing on plastic pollution in aquatic ecosystems and freshwater, basically. And so I lost track of the bottled water a bit. But um, I came back now uh, in the recent years because I think like we've all the huge debate on plastic pollution, I felt it's important that we not only talk about like the items, the, the objects in the environment, but also about the chemicals that are contained in those. So in our recent work we've we've looked at at chemicals again in consumer plastics and packaging, but also in, in, in toys and other stuff. And and we also looked uh, we we looked at the chemicals we can can find there. And now 15 years later, like technology has really advanced. Analytical chemistry has made massive progress. So we can, um, in our latest study, demonstrate that we find more than 1,000 chemicals in the individual plastic products. And then we try to find out what those chemicals are. And that turned out to be quite frustrating because only about twenty percent of the chemicals that we detected were really identifiable, so we can give them a name. Well,
2: one, one question here: Are yeah. you detecting the chemicals in the plastic or in the leached liquid right, around them? Right, right, you know, right. Where right. did you find the chemicals? I mean, no, how, no, you know?
3: we, right. So we we've been we've been extracting different products. So we we've used solvents to extract and recover. Basically, all the compounds that are leachable that are used in, in those um, consumer products, very harsh conditions. But we had to start um, with something and now we are following this up and we're looking, for example, how these chemicals would leach under milder conditions to water, for example. And we also find a lot there. So, um, So, yeah, plastics can contain a lot of compounds. Most of them we don't know. And they leach a lot of compounds. Most of them, again, we don't know and for but me why, toxi- why, yeah?
2: why study sure. the uh, why study them under harsh conditions first why not you know sample water in a really polluted you know stagnant pool for a start and see what's in the water first
3: right so i think like what we wanted to do with our first study was to create some kind of baseline data so the question was not so much like what is leaching but the question is what the first question was how many chemicals are we dealing with exactly? Because we don't, we didn't have before that um, a, a good idea of, of how much chemicals, how many chemicals we're talking about. So I think it was more to establish a baseline because like we wanted to know how many chemicals are there are in plastics um, and, and, and which ones can we identify? Right. But of course the logical next step then would be to look for those that are actually leachable. Right. So that, that, um, would enter the environment or would enter the bottled water or would enter the foodstuff that we eat or would turn up uh, turn up on our skin when we touch and play with plastic toys. Yeah,
2: if I think just about a, a, a soda bottle, you know, a bottle that holds water, I would assume, well, you can't assume the pH is 7, but even if it's like 6, let's say, that's one condition. But right. if I compare it to a bottle of soda, you know, what if the pH is like 3, 3.5? Three the soda, I would think, would leach out selectively a lot more, probably than the the bottled water. So right. drinking soda out of plastic, maybe I'm getting a whole different set of stuff or more stuff. Right. I don't know. Right. Or if I look at a plastic wrap and I microwave something in plastic, now that's another leaching condition that's very different, but I might get different stuff.
3: Right. So we know that, of course, like the properties of the stuff or the beverage, like pH, like fat content, et cetera, um acidity um really determines like the leaching um the migration how we call it the migration potential of chemicals, so it varies a very it varies a lot depending on the food stuff that you're looking at so for example, if you have a cheese wrapped in plastic, the cheese will absorb um lipophilic compounds um uh, to a much larger extent than if it's lettuce packed in in the same uh, in the same wrap. So uh, so it really depends on the type of foodstuff that you're looking at. Um, but um, we cannot test like all the different types of food and beverages that we have. So that's why we use what we call food simulants, and those are very basic kind of media. Um, that simulate the food, right? So they, they would kind of simulate the cheese or they would sim, would simulate the soda, et cetera. So that's what we're using in, in this type of studies.
0: CBDFX full-spectrum and broad-spectrum CBD products are formulated to boost overall wellness and deliver calm vibes for daytime and nighttime use. CBDFX is offering our listeners an exclusive 25% off, which I think is very generous, plus a free CBD bath bomb with your first purchase when you use the code GENIUS. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBDFX.
2: Well, so what do you see? Like, what, what are you looking at? that's leaching and, and what, uh, what are some of the big realizations you've had? There's tons of chemicals in the plastics. Right. I, so- you know, I guess I mistakenly thought that there'll be the polymerized plastic itself and little else, or maybe just monomers, but but you're saying there's a lot more in there.
3: No, plastic, plastics are super complicated materials. Of course you have the base polymer and that's not leaching really, but because it's just basically a long chain um, of molecules super high molecular weight. But then you have like all this unpolymerized monomers in there. So bisphenol A is one very good example. It's the monomer to make polycarbonate uh, plastics, very clear, transparent plastic, uh, plexiglass, um, etc. So, so you find like all those unpolymerized monomers, you find residues from, from the production process impurities as well that are uh, within the, in the raw material that that's used to make plastic. And then the producers, of course, add a lot of other chemicals which we call plastic additives, such as colorants or antioxidants or plasticizers to make the plastic more soft or more resistant to UV light. And this kind of chemicals, the additives, um, uh, I mean, we don't know what kind of additives the producer is adding because that's confidential, but we're talking about a very large number of compounds and there is no good estimate of how many we're talking about, but colleagues of mine say it's probably 10 to 20,000 different compounds that we're, we're talking about that are intentionally added to make plastic.
2: How could they ever... There must be not enough, not nearly enough regulation on the composition of all these packages. I mean, because
3: that's crazy. There you go. I mean, um, well, that's that's what our research is a bit touching on, and and that's where we need to, I think, create awareness um, about because, like, when we talk about tens of thousands of different chemicals, there's no way of making sure that all of those are safe for our health. And I mean, the additives, at least in principle, you can ask the producers and you can assess the safety of those additives. But you have all those impurities and all those uh, chemicals that are um, non-intentionally added. And it's super difficult to assess whether they're safe or not. And that's why we always do this kind of um, bioassays to look at the total toxicity that's leaching from plastic. And there it's getting more frustrating because like we took a set of different cell lines and we looked at different toxicological endpoints in the extractables from the plastic consumer products and about, uh, I think, two-thirds of the products induced some kind of toxicity. And that tells us that something in the mixture that is in the plastic and that's extractable um, is inducing toxicity, at least in vitro. So that gives us kind of an idea that well, there are some chemicals in there that we probably don't want to use. But now the challenge is finding out amongst those ten thousands or thousands of chemicals we are talking about, which one is it really? And that's quite a formidable task. Why
2: well, can't, um, I mean, this may be a gigantic task, but it seems like containers, plastic containers, whatever they may be, bottles, et cetera, they need to be redefined because we know essentially that not only do consumers use them and they're exposed to them, but they tend to end up in the environment. so right. they have this massive impact and they touch all kinds of environments including people and you know just everything and they really need to be redefined in terms of what can go into them in the first place and then knowing that they're yeah. likely to end up in the environment, again they need to be redefined as well. I mean there's like if a, if a manufacturer adds 10,000 chemicals, there's no way that they've studied the effect of, of any of them. It sounds like they're just throwing a bunch of crap in there as fillers. Like why would they, how could how you be allowed to, to have a product that's not licensed that has just random crap in it? That makes no sense.
3: Well, I would be more diplomatic and say, not say that it's pro, that is random crap. Of course, like a lot of those chemicals, they have a function and um, um, yeah, well, but I would say that they have not been properly tested for their human health effects. And with regards well, some to do, the,
2: some do some right. do, but what, what recipe do you, do you know of that requires ten thousand different chemicals?
3: Right. I mean yeah, the problem is just complexity. And I'm um I'm just guessing here, but I think often like the producers also really don't have no idea what what kind of chemicals they're using. They're buying master batches. That contain a mixture of chemicals. They get sort cert- of certificates from suppliers that this is somehow is okay. But I think for them it's also a challenge, really, to know what kind of mixture of chemicals they're using. I liked your excursion to the environment, though, because some of my colleagues, um, from environmental sciences, have proposed to to label plastic waste as hazardous, so make it really hazardous waste. And China has actually uh, done that and they banned the import of plastic waste from other countries, which created like a massive uh, problem for recycling industries in Europe, um, especially. So, well, of course, there's initiatives to, to call it like hazardous waste. Um, well, and I, I think I agree, we need to kind of not redefine like plastics, but I think we need to redesign them and make them safer. That's important.
2: Why, why would... um even these master batches have so many chemicals in them. Is it, is it just the nature of polymerization and making plastic that it's just, what, is it not efficient enough? Or even well, if I think, it's a very high conversion, you're still going to get tons of uh, byproducts?
3: Yeah, I think like if you do like polymerization at a large scale, and I'm not a polymer chemist, so disclaimer here, But if you do that at large scale, you have a lot of side products, a lot of side reactions going on. And those side reactions create like small um, compounds that are very hard to identify because you basically don't know what you end up with those side products. Um, Yeah, well, and it's, as I said, like it's really a challenge to finding out um, probably even for producers what all the leachable compounds in their products are. And I think that's why I'm arguing for this kind of in vitro testing approach, because then you don't need to look at the individual chemicals which you have trouble identifying, but you look at the, the toxicity at the effect of the overall mixture. And that's what we care about, right? So we just want, don't want our food packaging to to leach toxicity, toxic compounds. I don't we don't care about what the name of the compounds um are but we just don't want toxicity there so i think that's one way forward uh for making plastic safer i think
2: well the problem is though if you don't know what's in there and a certain plastic leaches, you know it
0: has a really bad leaching profile let's say for soda well how do you fix it then when you
2: manufacture uh uh, stop it leaching and then they'll say well uh don't know there's eight million things in there
3: what do we what do we do Right. So, I mean, that's really a problem. I can give you an example from our latest study. So we looked at four different yogurt cups and two of the cups had toxicity and two of the uh, two other cups didn't. So, um, and that's then the problem, right? So you, you just talk about yogurt cups. So which one, why is two of them better than obviously the other two? And then you, I think you would need to go into really the chemical formulation and would really no, look at the packaging material And to find out what makes those two cups uh, contain toxicity and those others not so. But I think it's also like a positive, um, at least like some positive note in there because it tells us that some producers, uh, they make yogurt cups and other packaging that is okay, right, that is safer than others. So I think like if industries would be more open and more transparent about like what compounds they're using, in making those cups and share that information, I think that would tremendously help improve the chemical safety of those products.
2: Yeah, I think also you could probably characterize different plastics as having a different uh, dispersion factor. Like a yogurt cup, I don't think it would, uh, this is just my guess, it would have a lower dispersion factor than a, uh, a soda bottle. Soda bottles for some reason just are carried more, they're more portable, they go everywhere, so they end up in more places. You know, certain plastic bags seem to end up in a lot more places than other garbage, other plastic waste. So, you know, again, if you were to assign a dispersion coefficient or factor, those plastics that have the highest factor um, should be the ones at the source that really needs to be changed because, you know, one uh, soda bottle that's made wrong, it can affect so many different things. You know, it it affects the drinker of the soda, and then let's say it gets into a stream it breaks down to microplastics now that one soda bottle can affect, you know, thousands of different things. And if at the source that was, you know, mm-hmm. labeled properly again, and something done about those, it might be the biggest
3: um, effect, you know, in this whole right, product. Right. I think, like, at this point, we should talk about single-use plastics, right? Because those are the ones that, that we find most commonly, at least in the oceans, mm-hmm. And what the European Union has done is is, uh, is they just have done like uh, studies on what is, was it, what is beach litter and what is the most uh, items we find most on our European beaches. And they came up with a list of 12 items. So single-use cutlery, um, the lids of, of soda bottles and drinking bottles and, and things like that. So they have done that in, the, in a sense. And then they said like, okay, now let's try to replace those products with something that is reusable. And I think that makes sense because, like, of course, there's some items we more commonly find in the environment. Um, Q tips, for example, because people just uh, flush them down the toilet and they escape wastewater treatment and things like that. So I think those are the items we should tackle with with policies probably first. And and at least in the European Union, that's been done. So they've been, they want to ban single use um, uh, uh, products uh, that we find most commonly on beaches. And I think that's a good first step, right? Do
2: they um, end up on the beach because people bring them there, or do they wash on shore?
3: Mm-hmm. That We cannot really say. I mean, um, often people, when they think about plastic pollution, they think about littering. So they think about people just intentionally throwing stuff in the environment. But actually, we don't know, because there's the long-range transport for plastic um, debris And it can, for example, come from um, open landfills, which unfortunately we we still see a lot uh, on a global scale. And if a landfill is just just open, then of course it loses, it emits uh, plastic litter and that will end up in the environment then. So it's not that simple that it's just basically people going to the beach and littering their stuff or leaving their stuff behind. It can also come from many other sources, landfills are just one of them a lot of a lot of debris is just lost during transport of goods so we are losing a lot of of those plastic pallets uh, when they're transported globally so yeah well and that's i think one of the other challenges of plastic pollution it's basically very hard to pinpoint where it really comes from and that makes it very hard really to stop it and i think that's why we need to go to the source uh, which is waste management, and then of course, eventually also consumption.
2: Yeah, it's weird. Why would you um, have something called like virgin plastic if it's full of chemicals? Then why would there be much of a standard to recycle existing plastic into virgin plastic? You know, in one way they're saying, "Oh, these these materials are virgin, they're pure, and they're you know," but they're not. Then on the other oh. hand, they're saying, "Well, to recycle this, it's a high standard now because." You know, we mm-hmm. want to make sure it's it's as good as the original stuff but the original stuff is a is a witch's brew of that knows what so it right it just seems like misaligned the whole thing
3: yeah so i mean the chemical complexity of plastics is a problem for recycling and that's why recycling works very well only for a few types of plastics. so pt is one of them um so the plastic bottles basically that you have for drinking for bottled water um are made from PET, and um, you need very little additives to make that plastic and that's why it's easier to recycle it. So basically amongst like uh, from a chemical point of view, that's a very simple plastic, so it's easier to recycle. But you have many other types of plastic that contain so many additives that it's really hard to recycle it. And that will become a problem if we want to move towards more recycling, because like basically we can we just cannot recycle those materials because they contain so many chemicals we don't know about. And even worse, of course, if they end up in the environment, they will collect extra chemicals, pollutants from the environment that makes recycling very, very challenging. So I think like one way forward is, and I'm not a chemist, so I'm not a polymer chemist, so I, 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 it's just like in my ideal world, I would say like, why could we, couldn't we start making plastics simpler in a chemical sense say let's use not 1000 different additives but let's agree upon a very small set of plastic additives that we check for their safety for their human health effects for their toxicity in the environment and let's let's just make that material which is indeed fantastic let's make it simpler uh, uh, in a chemical sense that would require a lot of investment um A lot of innovation and stuff, uh, a very long-term solution. But I think that's like a way too forward.
2: I haven't asked you too much yet about microplastics and nanoplastics. Can you talk about what those are and
3: where do they come from? Right. It's interesting that most of the attention is really focusing on the very small part of Plastic pollution, nanoplastics. We cannot see microplastics. Some of them we can see when we when we walk on the beach. So so most of scientific and public attention goes to that. And the, and of course the idea is that smaller the plastic um, debris is getting, the more harmful it may be because you can take it up. It's eaten by animals. It, uh, it uh, travels through the food chain, through food webs. Um, the idea sometimes is even that we then eat it again comes back to our dinner plate. So I think that's where, why most people are worried about nano and microplastics. Indeed, why we, we see a lot of large plastic litter in the environment and, and we know that this really creates environmental problems because animals get entangled and they basically die entangled in all those plastic litter. But a lot of attention goes to the smaller fraction, and and we've been working on that um, for quite a while now, looking at the toxicity of microplastics and nanoplastics um, for freshwater animals um, in very in, in various spe- uh, species, different biota, etc. And I think that's important work um, because what we what we are interested in is what is really the impact of of uh, nano and microplastics in, in the environment, and we've seen. An explosion of research in the last, I would say, two to five years. So tons of studies are getting published like every week. So it's really hard to catch up with super rapid field of of research, very dynamic, super interesting. Um, But still, I mean, because plastic um, pollution is so um, diverse, so many different materials, so many different chemicals, so many different sizes of plastic uh, that we find in the environment and shapes, etc. Uh, that makes it very difficult really to 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 give like a definite answer of whether, whether micro-nanoplastics really represent an environmental problem. Um, we've been working with the mm-hmm. European Commission and we've been writing like reports for them and sitting in expert meetings and groups, etc. And um, based on the very limited data that we have so far, as an expert group, we concluded that there's probably not a very widespread risk of microplastics in the environment at the moment. Um, But we were also very clear when we said like, however, if if humanity is continuing to emit this amount of plastic, we will be very certain that we will see um, environmental risks in the future. So I think for me, um, that means like there is time to act, but there is also, necessity to act so because like um, we don't want to end up with our oceans filled with plastic litter and then start cleaning up the mess we want to want to act now uh, before yeah. we're seeing serious problems, right?
2: So what, what's gonna be your role now and going forward? Like what, again, what's the focus of your your work in this moment?
3: Right. So we've been, think, we've been thinking a lot, um, at, as I said, like at the chemicals and plastic, because I think that's a bit forgotten in all this discussion on plastic pollution. And people are very worried about the impact of microplastics on their own health. However, I think like what we should really be concerned about is um, not only the microplastics in our bottled water, but also all the chemicals um, that, that are leaching from plastic. So I think this is what we're focusing on at, at the moment. And I'm really into, uh, I must say, into circular economy and all those societal, political things. So I work a lot with policymakers um, because I think we have this opportunity. I mean, it's it's a bit on hold right now because we are all in crisis mode and that's okay. But I think we have this opportunity to transform plastic economy into something that is more circular, right? Not creating waste. Um, improving recycling, redesigning products to make them reusable and that I find very satisfying and that's not a very scientific task uh, that's really politics um, but I, what, what is really fascinating to me is, is is take my science, take toxicology and really move it into this kind of policy sphere because um, that gets me the feeling that at least I can do something with the science and with the knowledge that we agree
2: Well very good, Martin, what, what's the best way for people to find out about your work and to get in touch and, you know, to ask questions.
3: I think the best way is Twitter. And I mean, Twitter is getting a lot of uh, negative vibes these days uh, for obvious reasons, but um, science Twitter is great. And, um, and I think like, especially uh, the plastic pollution community on Twitter is is amazing. So just find me on Twitter, uh, send me questions there. Um, you can follow a bunch of of researchers that are really active in in plastic pollution, microplastics, and there's great discussions going on. So I think that's the the first place I would look at. And then of course you can look at all the publications that we are, that we are publishing. If you're interested in going more into detail. Well,
2: very good, Martin. You know, I didn't mean to drive you crazy in in this interview, but uh, you know, it's important. And that, I don't know, I guess when I talk about it, I get, agitated and annoyed at uh, the whole state of things so i appreciate <laughs> you coming and, and it's really important what you're working on because it affects everyone it's just pervasive and that's uh it sounds bad so thank you for coming
0: thanks for having me remember before you go check out cbdfx.com for the best in organic all-natural cbd products both for you and your pets boost your wellness today and get 25 percent off your first order, plus get a free CBD bath bomb when you use code GENIUS at checkout. That's code G-E-N-I-U-S. Don't miss this special 25% off offer for Finding Genius listeners only at cbdfx.com. Offer expires August 31st, 2023. Feel the difference with CBD FX. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description
1: to subscribe and review us on iTunes.